This morning I'll be reading from two sections of Scripture. Uh, the two sections of Scripture are from one, the Old Testament, where we were reading last week in Exodus. And it was Exodus 19, which is the chapter right before the Ten Commandments given by the Lord. And in that chapter, God was preparing the people to receive the law. And we saw the importance of that, that, that it's not just that the Ten Commandments are to be something we, um, we take lightly. It is God's law. It is how he will judge the world. Uh, this past Sunday, as we were going through the introduction to this series, one of the things I, I made as a comment was that God will judge each man and woman, every man and woman in the world, according to their deeds. So all that we have seen this last year, this last week, all of that will stand before the God as, and he will judge it for what it is. And so in days that we live where we are confused by all the things we're hearing and we're so divided as a people, it is comforting to me that know that God, who judges all men, will judge both the quick and the dead, as we say in the Apostles' Creed. Have you thought about that? And so when we say he will judge the quick and the dead, what we're really saying is he will judge those who believe, who have been quickened by the Holy Spirit to believe in Christ. And he will judge the dead, meaning he will judge those who are dead to God. They're lost in their sins. They have rejected God in all of his ways. And so as we turn in the book of Exodus and we finish chapter 19, one of the things you're going to notice is that God is not to be trifled with. And I invite you now to hear that word as we turn to chapter 19, beginning with verse 20. Hear now the word of God. The Lord descended to the top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the, to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, for the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai, because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy, and the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priest and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them what shall, and he told them, thank you. That was the end of that passage. <laughs> and then we're gonna go to Romans chapter three and. Actually, Paul is actually picking up from this teaching of the Old Testament as he talks about what good is it being Jewish? What good is it being Jewish if the law cannot save us? If you read in the beginning of chapter 3, I'm going to pick up with verse 9 and continue what Paul argues concerning the purpose of the law of God. He says, and here is the word of God for us, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage, meaning we Jews? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. 
as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. And there is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are in open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This is the word of God. I don't know about you, but one of the things that always shocks me is old stories of old days in church. One man was going to church. His wife had stayed home because she was sick. And so while he was at, uh, at church, she was taking care of house duties and preparing lunch for him. So that when he came in, she said, well, how was church? And he said, fine. And she said, well, what did the preacher preach on? And he kind of looked like he didn't know it for a moment. And he sat there. He preached about sin. And she looked at him and said, well, well, what did he say about sin? And he responded to his wife, um, um, I, I think he was against it. Yeah. Well, I hope and I pray that after you leave this morning, you will remember more how that man was wrong in his answer. I am not against sin. God is. You see, it is the Lord our God who in the giving of the law begins to help us understand what it is that separates from him from us and why we don't know him or seek him or love him apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. And so as we get to the Ten Commandments, as we begin studying this, we did a summary overview last week. Today we're going to be talking about the purpose of the law. Next week we're going to be talking about what it means as Christians that we're now saved by grace through faith in Christ, what place or what obligation do we have to the law? And so in order to prepare ourselves to hear the Ten Commandments, I would hope and I would pray that you are studying them, that you're reading them daily, that you're meditating upon them, asking God to give you insight into what it is that His expectation of humanity, every man, woman, and child. And so as we look at this passage, I just want to remind you that we covered some things important in understanding the law of God, that the, the law of God was a guide to the people of Israel. It was a, a law that was given concerning a moral law, which we understand to be the Ten Commandments. Then there was the ceremonial law God gave them, which was a, a record of how they were to worship Him in that day before the coming of Christ. And all of that ceremonial law was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ who fulfilled that function 
by dying on the cross as the sacrificial lamb for our sins. So we don't keep the ceremonial law today. We don't have animals that we sacrifice to God because Jesus was our one true sacrifice who made, who made an atonement for our sins, who through him we have forgiveness from God. Because he bore our, our iniquity, we now have the gift of eternal life. And the third part of that law that was given was a civil law, and that was a law governing the people as God would take them into the promised land on how they were to live out this moral law in dealing with each other day by day. We also found that in looking at the Ten Commandments that you can divide them into two sections, the first four teaching us how to love God, and the second part, the six that follow, teaching us how to love our neighbor. And one of the comments I made was there was a time in the history of our nation where whether you were a Christian or not, people knew the Ten Commandments and they often used it in their debates with each other about what is moral and what is lawful. The most amazing part of that is that in giving that law, God gave them something that wasn't just permissible. That is the basis of Western law. We really talk about law today in the Western society we live, and it really is uh, a decision by legislatures where we have things that are permissible and not permissible. For instance, when you look at the speed limit, many of you, I hope you did look at the speed limit when you came, uh, it gives you saying a sign that says a limit. In other words, the government has said this is the limit by which you can, fa how fast you can drive on a road. Well, that law is not recorded in the Bible. That law is a reflection of what it meant to have a civil society based upon a moral that we have decided as a people we want to live safely. And so that law was given for our safety and for our our ability to bless others. But even then, in the history of our nation, our laws have usually reflected the moral law of God. The question then becomes, okay, if then the purpose of God's law is to teach us the morals, what are we to understand as its purpose in our lives? There are three things I want to talk to you this morning about. It is first a mirror for us. Secondly, it has a civil purpose in our, in our country. And thirdly, it is a guide for those who are born of Christ. It is a mirror, it has a civil purpose, and it is a guide for believers how to live life today. Let me take the first one. First and foremost, it's a mirror. It is, a, it, it is a literally a reflecting to us the perfect righteousness of God. And when you think of God, we do not think of God of our imaginations or God of any other religions except that God which is revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that was astounding to me as I was studying the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. God is directing our thoughts to the reality that there is only one God and only one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and any other worship of God in any fashion, form, even if you say you worship the one true God, is an abomination before our God in heaven. Why? Because God says he will have no other gods before him. And he is the God who is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is astounding. 
And it's very insulting in our politically correct culture. Why is it so insulting? Because we want to accommodate others. We want to be loved by others. We want to be accepted by others. And so therefore, we would never want to be judgmental of other people in their practice of their faith. And we shouldn't be. We should never judge others. Why? Because we're not the judges. Who is? God. God is. You see, God is perfect in all his ways. He is perfectly holy, perfectly loving, perfectly forgiving. In all of his ways, God is perfect. He does not need us, nor does he need anything to exist. In and of himself, he is perfection. And his law is perfect as well. And so in light of that, as we look at this law of God and we begin to study it, we have an advantage by studying the law in that we begin to glimpse the perfection of God in such ways that we, can, we get to know the one true God through the law. For through that law, we understand his expectations, not only of us, but how we're to understand and worship him, how we're to love him. The second part of that mirror is it's also a reflection of us, of our own sinfulness and our shortcomings. Now, this is where you and I are going to have some struggles because one of the things that is always true about dealing with sin is it is always a confrontation that God throws before us and it is always an insult. It is always offensive. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of Christ himself is an offense to the human race. Because the human race wants to declare that it is good, that it is right. And if you don't believe me, go out and ask someone if they're good. And they'll say, yes, I'm as good as I can be. But when it comes to the goodness that God expects of us, we fall short over and over. I, I so appreciated the reading we had this morning from the larger catechism, What is Sin? I remember it's the, the old English version. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That's a real wordy thing. It doesn't really mean much to us today until you take the old English and begin to parse it. What is sin? Any want of conformity. What does that mean? It means that God expects us to fulfill his law and to do every part of it. Imagine going to a, a restaurant and you, stand, you sit at a table and a waitress comes and she begins to pour a glass for you. And you'd say, fill it up please. And she puts only half a glass. You would look at her and say, what part of fill up don't you understand? Right? Well, that's what God says about his law. What part of completely obeying it don't you get? What is it about my word that you don't understand? I want you to have no want of conformity. I want you to understand it is meant for you to fulfill in all of its meaning. But the second part is just as damning because not only is sin any want of conformity, it's also the transgression of God's law, meaning where we know what God means. We understand what his expectations are, but we just simply, because of our own desires, say no. And in the words of the great singer, I'll do it my way. Oh, my. I can see by the way you're looking at me, you're beginning to wrestle with this. 
And that's the purpose of the law. It's to cause you to think deeply about your relationship with God. St. Augustine, one of the church fathers in the history of the latter of the, or the early years of the church, wrote this about the law of God. He said, the law binds us as we try to fulfill its requirements. And because wearied of our weakness under it, to know how to ask the help of grace. <sighs> you hear it? You can't know the good news without the bad news. You can't know the gospel without understanding God's law because what God expects of you, that is how he will judge you apart from the grace of Christ. The law is meant to bring or to give or to impress upon your hearts and your mind what really is sin. And yet, when you think about this mirror we hold up to ourselves, Jesus warned us. He warned those who were listening to him. He said, be careful because you can be blinded to sin. You say, what? Where did he say that? Remember when he was teaching about looking at other people and seeing the splinter in their eye? And what did he say before you go and expect other people's eyes? Look at the log in your own. How crippling. You see, that's one of the things that happens with the sinfulness of our hearts is we look at the law of God in a mirror and we want to see ourselves better than we are before God, so we begin to pick out other sins we see in other people. And we begin to excuse our own sinfulness. We begin to ignore it or somehow believe, oh, God will forgive it without ever dealing with it. And it will destroy a church when Christians do that. Because that is not the purpose of the law. The law is to reveal our sins so that we can come and plead our case before God that we need Christ and his power and his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace to love God in the way that we should. This week I, I showed you an illustration of the four corners of law in Charleston and how that city, once rich and prosperous, once overwhelming with culture, had on the four corners of broad and meeting the, the laws representing four distinct areas and the church being one representing the law of God and then the other three corners representing the federal, the city, and the state laws And yet, even though they had the law of God and the church on the corner, there was incredible oppression of peoples in that city. Even though they had the law of God, there was murder and adultery and thievery. Even though they had the law of God, evil was present. And I think about that in our day and I look at what's happening in our culture and our nation and I'm asking myself, are we that far removed from that kind of blindness? The blindness where we cannot see the sins that we commit because of the tremendous impulses of our culture. I was, I was absolutely broken in heart this past week as I was talking with a pastor 
about a ministry that is arising in Charlotte that, that no one knows about, but yet it is happening every, every moment that people are being flown into Charlotte who are basically slaves. Children, young women, young men who are being flown in and they have been bought by someone and they are going to be farmed out in our country as a sex trade. And I wanted to say that just can't be. Not in America. And yet, in knowing the truth of this, our government has responded by requiring certain things in our immigration laws that identify or at least help us to identify these individuals. But it is still going on. And the reason you're not hearing about this ministry is because these people who are in that bondage, who are needing help, do not need the exposure of the media. They need the loving care of Christians who will help them escape that kind of impoverishment and oppression. And yet we're blinded to it, aren't we? You see, the law, in all of its goodness as a mirror, is a horrible thing to those who resist God because it condemns. And yet for we who have come to faith in Christ, the good news of the gospel is thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ there is no condemnation for those who are now in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he took upon himself what we so richly deserved and the punishment that God would mete out with the law of God if we were to be examined by it. Christ took it upon himself to deliver us from that curse, that wrath. The second use of the law is, is just as powerful. It, it is a civil use. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it, it is to restrain evil. In other words, the moral law that God gives us is to cause people, even those people who do not fear him, to remember that there is a God who will one day judge the world. That there is a God who will one day hold accountable every man and woman for every choice they have lived. And in that judgment, his judgment will be true and right and pure and perfect and nothing will be hidden from his eyes. And woe be to the man who does not take the warning, who does not restrain his impulses or her impulses in such manner that she realized or he realized that to follow after those impulses are not only a violation of the law of God, they're not only sinning against each other, or you're sinning against someone else, that in fact you are sinning against the holy God who created you. Have you ever wondered why we don't allow vengeance, revenge in our, our laws, our government? And when someone's arrested, they're not arrested because they hurt someone and therefore we let that person or family take revenge on them. We arrest them because they have violated a law. They have violated a law that is not just dealing with one family or one victim. It deals with our entire society. You've heard the phrase, don't take the law into your own hands. That's what I fear has happened in Washington this past week. Is that many people have risen up thinking, I'm going to take the law into my own hands. Well, I want you to know we're not a people like that. And if we're Christians, we are not going to tolerate that kind of violence. Why? Because we know the God we answer to. 
Remember, the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin with your anger. Remember that? Be angry, but don't sin with your anger. Who can do that? And yet the most amazing thing about the use of the civil law is that law is given to us so that we understand that the law itself will never change people's hearts. They still will want to violate that law. Then what can change the heart? Only faith in Jesus Christ. We call it regeneration. We call it conversion. We call it that moment when someone sees their sin as God sees it and they begin to throw themselves upon the grace and the mercy of Christ. And as they throw themselves upon Christ and put their hope and their trust in Him, God comes into them and creates in them a new heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not a heart that rejects or, or, or turns away from the living God, but a heart that seeks to love Him, pursue Him, engage Him in all that He calls them to be and to do. And then finally, when the law is this, is a, the purpose is a civil, a civil use, it is also to secure civil order. And listen to this, it is given that it might serve to protect those who are living right lives, those who are living righteous lives, endeavoring to live just before God. And so one of the things our founding fathers began to realize that any law that does not allow the people to be protected from evil is an unjust law and is rightly to be overturned. Thirdly and finally this morning as we think about the use of the law, not only did it have a use of showing us the holiness of God and the sinfulness of the human heart, secondly the civil use and what it was given for, finally we are to see this law for ourselves as a way in which we are to be guided as believers a way in which we are to be guided as believers. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I'm running out of time. Some of you are becoming antsy and you're, you're beginning to wonder, what's for lunch? And that's so sad to me because I'm feeling that way too. You know why? Who wants to talk about sin? I certainly don't want to preach on it. In fact, personally, I think, I just want you to leave me alone. Let me do what I want. I, I would just rather not have to tell you anything. I would, in fact, as your pastor, I would rather be your pastor than your mom or your daddy. And yet, one of the callings in the church is the church is to stand against and expose what is sinful, not to the world, but to each other. And so when you see me doing something that you feel is an offense to God, it is not loving to walk away and just ignore it. It is more loving to come to me and encourage me to repent and believe. Well, what is this guide for believers? What is it that we're to expect as far as the Christian life? Well, first, please notice that the law of God clarifies, that the, clarifies what are the good works that Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10 that God is preparing for you to walk in today. And if you want to know the blueprint of your life, if you want to know what God wants of you in your daily living, all you need to do is turn back to the Ten Commandments 
And as you study them, you will have the clarity of thought on how to treat others, how to take care of problems that you deal in your life, how to do it with honesty and integrity. And the most amazing thing is that God says, if you will trust that word, it will bless your life. But let me tell you something. You will never do this without the help of Christ. And lastly, the guide for our believer is it not only clarifies the good works that God is calling us to do. By the way, you know one of the good works is to forgive one another, is to love your enemy, is to pray for those who persecute you. Did you know that? The other part of that law is it gives us that message of what will please our Heavenly Father. And let me tell you, as a man in the year 2021, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a member of this community, there is parts of me that is ripped apart by the desire to please every one of you in each one of those roles. And that is idolatry. Because the only person I am to please is my Father in heaven. The only one. This is the purpose of the law. Because when I see those places where I am not pleasing God, the glory of the cross comes through and I am able to go to my Father through Jesus Christ and confess it before Him and ask Him for His help and to rid my heart of my desire, my enjoyment of sin, which displeases Him. And by His grace and mercy, He hears my prayer and He answers them to the fullness of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as a, a comforter, a convictor, And you say, well, Robert, how will I know? Well, let me tell you, if you are not a believer this morning, if you ever ask Christ into your life, the Bible paints an awful picture that you're in bondage to that sinful nature that you were born with. This is why you want to be in church or read your Bible or, or attend fellowship is because you really don't want God in your life. And so the bondage of your life is that you believe you have freedom to do anything you want when in fact you are enslaved to the sinful passions and work in you. Your only hope is turning to Jesus Christ. And if you've never asked Christ into your life, you can do that right now. If you will confess to God your sins and say, God, I know who I am because of your law. I know I will never be able to please you. Would you come in my life and forgive me and begin to lead me in the way of everlasting life? And Jesus Christ not only will come into you, he will live in your heart in such measure that your affections will begin to be changed. Your desires will begin to be changed. Not that they will be rid, but you'll begin to see them for what they are. And you'll begin to cry out to God more and more for his help, for his power to live. And if you are a Christian, you are in a warfare. And that warfare is between the old nature that God has freed you from. He has taken you out of that slavery to that old nature and set you free to now live before him and to love him. But every day we must choose whether we will love God or not. 
And so you're going to ask the question, well, how do I know if I'm loving God? How do I know if I'm living a life that I, I'm representing the love life that I have with Jesus Christ? Well, there are three things I want to point out to you. Please notice that Paul says that the law is given to Christians for the purpose of revealing our sins. In other words, to make us conscious of where we are falling short of God's expectation. And in that, the first place when you know that your life is being spoiled, sin spoils. What do I mean by that? I don't know about you, but I think of the things that I look back on with regret in my life. And the times when I've had choices to make and I knew, I knew that if I went down one road, it would lead to destruction. If I went down another, it would lead to blessing. But there was a choice I had to make. I had to deny myself and take up the cross and follow him. And so right now, if you're living with something that's decaying your relationship with God, if it's spoiling your relationship or your walk with God, it's sin. I don't know what that might be for you. It's different for each one of us in many ways. The other is that sin spreads. Have you ever heard of a little white lie that turned into a big fat one? That's the way sin does. Whenever we, whenever we follow the old sinful nature, we then cover it up with some other problem and some other problem and another problem. And what happens is we begin to spread it in such a way I, I will never forget in my life, I will never forget when the former president of these United States was being impeached because he lied under oath because of an affair he had with a young intern in his office. And he parsed words in such a way that he said, I never had intimate relations with that woman. And it was later proven that he technically was right he didn't know her in the way the Bible talks about a man and a woman knowing each other. But he had another kind of a relationship with her. And I was stunned that our young people today have used that parsing to allow what God says is obviously wrong to be called right. When you look back at the O.J. Simpson trial, there was a sense of injustice that somehow we didn't feel things were right there. When we go back to a murder that happened in Darlington, South Carolina, where a lawyer was executed while he was driving home one night, and to this day, no one knows who did it. Someone turned a blind eye to it and allowed it to spread. And the final thing is that sin will separate. Let me tell you, if you're married, you, you, your last argument was because both of you are sinning. Did you know that? The conflict we're seeing in our nation right now is not because of the righteousness of God, it's because of the sinfulness of the human heart. We are building walls so tall we cannot even hear each other talk anymore. We are using words in such measure that we no longer have their meaning in our minds. And it is creating separation 
That is not what God intended for our nation or for you. And the purpose of the law is that you might come to see this and instead of blaming other people, begin to look at your own life. And in the words of the Psalm of David, O God, search me and know me. Try my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. If you're not ready to do that, then you're not ready for the gospel. But if you are, then Christ is speaking to you this morning. Come and follow me. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, as we take this time to pray before you, I, I just want to close in a moment of silence. There may be something in my life that is causing my life to be spoiled. Or something, Father, that is causing separation with others. Or I have allowed things to grow in such measure it's spreading. It's wreaking havoc. Not only in my life, but in my family. In my state, in my, my nation, my world. My only hope is you. My only hope is you, Jesus. And if I were left to my own devices, I would excuse or dismiss or minimize what is so vile and ugly to you. Jesus, please help me. I, I need you. If I am to be right with God our Father. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together,